0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound & Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, Or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Jean Nagai is an artist born in 1979 in Seattle, Washington, who is based out of Los Angeles, California. He received a BA from the Evergreen State College in 2004, and his work has been shown at venues like Part Two in Oakland, California, the Whole Gallery in New York, Unit in London mini-gallery in Amsterdam, amongst many others. I caught up with Jean over the internet from L.A. for a talk about his growing up on the West Coast, finding the creative path, the sustaining desire to make paintings, and much more. Here's our conversation. Uh, yeah,
1: Yeah, they actually just learned how to FaceTime, so... Nice. That's uh we just did our first one like 2 weeks ago.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Do you live far from where your parents are?
1: Yeah, they live in uh near Seattle, Washington.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Well, and that's I, I guess Los Angeles. Okay. But did you grow up in Seattle? Uh-huh. Seattle's nice. Yeah. So
1: Seattle what area, yeah, the whole area is just gorgeous. I I miss it. I I like LA uh, for a lot of reasons, but as far as I like, can environment, air quality, those yeah. sort of things I, I miss.
0: Yeah. Uh, I could, the just, just the visual. If you put Seattle next to Los Angeles in your mind, the visual is so different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember when uh, I used to be in a band a long time ago and we would play in Seattle and mm. just like thinking just how green it was. It was so nice. It's mm-hmm. really green everywhere. <laughs> yeah.
1: which Was that, know. was that coming from you're in New York?
0: Yeah, New York, East Coast, you know, my whole life pretty much. So um yeah, I mean there was some green, but not that kind of green, you know. Mm-hmm. It just felt a little different.
1: Yeah, it's very uh, dank.
0: Also. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just like h- just the tall trees, I think it traps a lot of the, the moisture. And then also Seattle's in a in between two mountain ranges. So that just traps a lot of moisture and it creates its own. In, ecosystem and makes that whole I guess it's a gigantic valley in a way yeah you can picture that
0: right yeah well it's funny because um growing up in Pittsburgh it's it's kind of a gray cloudy rainy you know it's not like sunny all the time so I got Mm -hmm. kind of used to the gray but um it's Seattle seems like it there's more of a trade-off like you get a lot of rain and you probably get a lot of gray days but you get that like sort of deep green and that beautiful nature It's true. Yeah. It's not really a part of Pittsburgh. It's more hills and bridges and rivers.
1: (laughs) That stuff's cool too. Yeah. Growing up, there weren't that many rivers. So whenever I saw one, there's lakes and then the the Puget Sound, there's a couple of rivers, but that's always exciting. And bridges too. There's, I guess, when I think about things I saw on TV, what we didn't have was like these old steel bridges or wooden bridges that always seemed exciting for me to see as a yeah, kid.
0: The, the grass is always greener because I, I grew up skateboarding yeah. a lot and like the mm. bridges and hills and rivers weren't conducive to you know it just wasn't a good skateboarding place but um mm. and it, you would see videos of like los angeles where people could just have like these big open spaces you know oh, yeah so alluring at that point in my life <laughs> just never really made it out there
1: yeah well um, here it's kind of like, oh, let's just pour concrete over everything. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which, Which for for good skateboarding, it's it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you grew up, um, was creativity and art a big part of your life?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I've always drawn. Um my mom's pretty creative. She uh she can actually draw pretty well, but my it was my dad who taught me how to draw. A shark. I think that was the first thing I learned how to draw <laughs> when I was, I don't know, like three, three or four. But he can't draw. He's uh, he's not very creative. But my mom is, and I, I remember doing that. And then I, I remember drawing some uh, ladybugs when I was five. It was actually kind of violent. There was like a guy with a gun. I think, I haven't seen the drawing in a long time, but I picture there was a guy, maybe he was protecting the ladybugs or something, but there was like a pool of blood underneath them, but they put it in the the mall in some like kids art show. And I was really excited for that. And that but now I think about it, I'm like, I would never draw something so violent, a pool of blood with ladybugs.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that that didn't cause a little bit of like people saying like what's going on in that drawing, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like people love to analyze kids drawings no matter what it is, you know. <laughs> that seems like a, a a real sort of dynamic between beauty and kind of violence.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um
0: I've always felt that way with ladybugs So As a kid we were always taught to protect them.
1: Oh, you know, really? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah.
0: They're good luck and if they land on you the first thing people would say is like, don't, don't brush it off. You're supposed to let them naturally like leave you and not to like flick them or squash mm-hmm. them or
1: anything. That's true. Yeah. With like uh, it's different with flies or uh, bees or something.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or cockroaches but- where you immediately go for death. It's like <laughs> <laughs> violence is totally acceptable. It's like, yeah, yeah. just stomp on it, you know? crazy right just the look of a bug and that's what it does
1: yeah they are they're quite beautiful and the, the spotting the red it's it's pretty unique to see uh, a, a color. that's something so vibrant in nature and so small it's almost like a jewel
0: yeah definitely so what you're saying is the ladybug is what led up to your artwork today <laughs>
1: uh i don't i don't know what if that led up to it. But I remember that was like a moment in my life. And then in um, fourth grade, I remember we had uh, this class called Marketplace. And we had to draw the teacher wanted to, they wanted to teach us economics, I guess. So they made us uh, choose our, our class how to draw some money. And then we would choose like what our currency would be. And the one I drew, this character ant man that I had it was this like buff ridiculous ant character, but they <laughs> chose that for the money. And that was exciting, but that class was ridiculous because the idea was to teach us to be creative. So everyone was supposed to produce their own uh, like product from, from scratch, like make a, uh, make something out of yarn to sell, and each student was supposed to have their own s- store, and then I think we got, like, a set amount of money, that then we trade or, or sell it and buy goods, but some kid had this a brilliant idea, like, of just bringing Kool-Aid to the class and just selling cups of Kool-Aid, and these are all, like, fourth graders, so, like, yarn is cool, but you're gonna want, sh- for me, like, I'm going to run in the Kool-Aid and buy that
0: for kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so he started selling all his Kool-Aid and and he was making tons of fake money or I think we call them Pueblos and he was making all this money. And then I I think I joined up with him because I was like, this guy has figured out. So we just started selling cups of Kool-Aid and eventually We just started uh, because we, I think he had like a Costco membership. So he had these big containers of it. And then eventually we started just eating the, the raw Kool-Aid. Oh no. (laughs) And then we're like, oh, that's good. So we just started selling straight Kool-Aid, uncut Kool-Aid to the class.
0: (laughs) This this sounds like economics. Yeah. But also maybe nefarious, like pushing of (laughs) illicit (laughs) materials or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. The teacher got pretty upset about that. It got out of hand though, because some kid eventually figured out that the money was just all photocopied. So then he went to some photocopy and started printing out all his own money. It was it is interesting to look back at that whole thing breaking down this idea of like children trying to create their own crafts. And I, I, I get it. I, I like the idea of it, but then it going to that dark side of like counterfeiting and then just selling raw Kool-Aid to the class.
0: I guess uh, it was an effective sort of um, role play because it's really mirrors society. I mean, you had the good, the bad, the successful, the uh, <laughs> how yeah. to take something to a place that you might not want to take it to and you know, it <laughs> kind of mirrors life. It's like kids, I, I feel like, you know, growing up, like, all the sort of idiosyncrasies of human nature and stuff, you can find it in the microcosm as, like, being a kid just hanging out in, like, your neighborhood. Whether it's playing hide-and-seek or whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, it's just, like, all in there. You know, all the dynamics that just stay with you through life. I mean, not to bring it to our current situation, but, you know, some people are just grown-up man-children who just play out those same things, you know, in their life.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so, true.
0: Stuff is hard to get away from mm-hmm. sometimes. So, um, well, I'm curious. Were your parents you? So, your mom was creative, but what did they do? Were they in creative? Was she in a creative oh, field or?
1: Uh, she ran a, a hair salon from our out of her house. Okay. So she was cutting hair all the time, and uh, I guess that that was something that I, I don't know if I thought that was creative, but I, looking back at it, I respect that 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 was her hustle. Yeah for her to run the salon. And my dad was a cook or it, it, he's still a cook. Um,
0: well, that's creative was, too.
1: Yeah. So I grew up with uh, that, that part being uh, integrated in my life of the importance of food and cooking. Um, but I wasn't really good at it. I'm, I'm okay at it now. Uh, and I love food, but that was, uh, I guess that, yeah, that's creative.
0: Well, the real question is, was he good? As a cook? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's good. I personally, I think my mom is better just because my dad is more into like traditions. Okay. And he's like old school Japanese. So he, but he likes not, he's not that into making Japanese food. He's more into making Chinese or like French cooking. Um, Those are the things he's into. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: But he's like really into like getting it right. Whereas my mom is more experimental and, Tries new things
0: That's cool So you had a yeah. good balance I mean, that sounds like a good Food household to grow up in though I mean, a mixture of French, Chinese And like Japanese food Would be pretty Great, you know
1: Oh, yeah Yeah, it definitely taught me To appreciate food Even though I didn't like A lot of the things we were eating Just because I was a kid And Right I liked peanut butter and jam Sandwiches yeah. I still do That stuff yeah. is Still delicious to me But I I Got a taste for like Other Other food food from other places at a young age
0: yeah wonder if a lot of times chefs who you know their job is to cook when they come home they don't want to cook was that the case
1: yeah I I think so yeah because my mom she was home so she would do the cooking my dad also he worked the restaurant he worked at was it's a restaurant so he was would work till midnight or whatever he wouldn't mm-hmm. come home till late at night and then so he was asleep when we got up for school so he was home on Sundays but other days he was just at work cooking
0: yeah it was he um, was he first generation
1: uh no they're both immigrants Oh, okay. both from Japan yeah
0: nice that's cool so, when did it did yeah. they come over like early on
1: they came in the 70s, 70 mid 70s to Seattle.
0: So that's like pre the sort of Japanese like tech boom of like sending over employees through like business like if, you oh, know through, yeah, like yeah, tech yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, they had no yeah, they have no tech connections.
0: So did they just come over just
1: Yeah, my mom um my mom came over because she her aunt or my aunt uh was a flight attendant and she had a kid and her husband is still in school and still in college. So they, my mom came over to nanny, my, uh, my aunt or my aunt's kid. And so she was in Tokyo doing office work. I think she, she always talks about that time as being a good time in her life before she moved to the States. And I don't think she wanted to come here. It was, I think it was only supposed to be temporary, like a year to help take care of my cousin. Yeah. And so she came and then eventually realized like what a beautiful place Seattle was at the time, especially in the seventies from what I know is like more of a sleep uh, fishing and logging town than like yeah. what it is now and it was just clean and quiet and then she also wanted to have a kid after taking care of my c- cousin so she ended up staying and then my dad came here just on a whim not on a whim i think he just he was trying to figure out his life he was um into uh figure skating
0: whoa crazy and was That's trying cool. to get
1: into the olympics but then that didn't work out so he came to seattle and started cooking
0: so they but they met when they came he like they didn't meet
1: back home yeah they met in seattle
0: mm-hmm. oh that's cool
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so that's like a very unconventional kind of story of coming over you know in a way that's yeah that's pretty cool so um do you have brothers and sisters or was it just you
1: i have a younger sister here yeah. she's a crossfit trainer and uh massage therapist
0: so the figure skating that that propensity yeah 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 my dad is very
1: fiz he's like a very he's a jock and so is my sister they're both like ultra. well not so much my dad anymore anymore but my sister is like shredded
0: yeah yeah well yeah to be a a trainer like that i'm sure now or do you have that in you too do you have the sort of active itch
1: not not so much i go running okay Occasionally, but I'm not, yeah. I like, uh, I like sitting around and drawing. You're cold, just
0: chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. the studio, studio can be, you know, I always feel like there's a connection to being physical and working in the studio. I mean, it is a grind, you know, like you're there making stuff and it's kind of a ritual too, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: That's true. Yeah. Sometimes I do get, I do get pretty antsy. I do like, not necessarily like a Bruce Nauman like studio monotonous like <laughs> performance walking in a in a square for hours but i do i do have that tendency in there sometimes
0: yeah yeah. So i always I to, like,
1: go for a walk
0: right Yeah, i was like to i found out even if i didn't have a huge studio i would always be moving back and forth between the painting like i could never just sit there and work on it
1: mm-hmm. i would always
0: do a little bit walk to the other side of the studio look at it and walk back walk back walk back you know what i mean mm-hmm. it was kind of like I don't know if it was a a tick of like I just needed to keep moving or something, or just adjusting my vision to the piece or something. But oh yeah, like an endless like I feel like I probably you know wore a hole of the in the studio <laughs> going back uh-huh. and forth all the time.
1: Oh yeah, now that you say that, I do that too. Yeah, yeah it's like
0: calibrating or something, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you bring your skateboard to your studio?
0: Oh no, no, I retired.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, okay.
0: I was, <laughs> I I officially retired from skateboarding, and and it's fun. It's kind of an inside joke because there was a day when I was getting ready to go to college, and I was skating with some friends in the city, and and we were doing a handrail, and it had like a kink in the handrail, and um I went to to do a board slide down it, and the board kicked mm-hmm. out, and I hit like right between the legs. It, full force oh and shit. I swear i could not sit for like two weeks like it was so tender <laughs> oh my god and as soon as that, that happened sucks. I just said that's oh, it my. I'm done I'm going yeah. to college I'm like I'm retiring from this
1: <laughs> so I don't mean to laugh but that yeah
0: no it's funny <laughs> I mean
1: terrible, it would have been, but... yeah,
0: been yeah it would have been funny if
1: it to me,
0: but I, I crack up when I see falling videos like that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, it was rough. And it's funny because my studio is not too far from where I live here. And mm-hmm. uh, at one point when my son was really little, I got him a skateboard. Mm-hmm. And so I got myself one too, so I could to kind of skate with him. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. He didn't really take to it. And I started skateboarding over to my studio. And I think like on the third time I did it, I was skating down there with a backpack and I hit a pebble and I, one of those things where you just hit a little rock, you don't see it and it makes that like noise and you go flying, you know? And I flew forward and the bag swung around and my computer was in it and it hit the computer, like killed the computer. Oh
1: no. Yeah. Yeah. And I was
0: like, all right, second retirement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Two strikes. Who knows what the third one would. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So now I just, I, I I've retired fully from it. But it's there, it's, it's within me, like the whole mm-hmm. skateboarding thing, you know, that's how I got interested in like making art and being creative. You know, I love the artwork on those things, those old mm-hmm. skateboards and stuff. So I think it's it's part of me, but yeah, I've moved on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you have kids now and got other um, things to focus on.
0: Exactly. And injuries yeah. like take a lot longer for me now To, to, <laughs> to I can't even think about like, the falls that I used to take now.
1: Oh yeah. That's yeah. I never attempted. It would seem too crazy for me.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Um, So when did you, like when you were in school and stuff, did you always feel like, you know, art was gonna be a possible path or was it something that, that firmed into place later on? Like, when did you start to think like, Oh, this is something I might want to do.
1: That's hard to say. I, Oh, so the reason why I brought up that money thing was because uh, around that time, I saw a d- documentary on Picasso. And this is so corny, but I actually signed the money. I wrote Picasso on it. Like, he copied his signature. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I just thought he was, like, a cool guy at that time. I, I didn't know any, anything about modern art or uh, painting, really. I knew, like probably Van Gogh. Um, but at that age I was just into manga. So, um, to see something like that was just, uh, it it definitely altered my perception of like, Oh, this is a thing people can do in their, in their lives. Yeah. Um, and that stuck with me for sure. And then, um, I think I just, for the most part, I just was into cartoons And comics, manga as a kid, and then by the time high school came around, I found um, underground comics like Robert Crumb and Dan Klaus. Yeah, yeah. that stuff came into my life, and I was like, that also like changed my perception of creativity, and uh, that really got me excited to start drawing again. And uh, our high school newspaper, actually, there's a lot of artists involved with the the school publication. So I was seeing these kids drawing just really wild stuff in the paper. It was, I guess you'd call it like stoner art or or something, but it, it was pretty radical. And then, so I joined the paper and just met these group of kids who were into drawing and that got me really stoked on drawing again. And after after high school or in high school through that being in the paper i got into photography Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so i started taking pictures and developing my own pictures and uh robert frank
2: yeah
1: uh i started looking at his work i got into that whole like street photography thing and then i through robert frank i noticed that he had these um these later works he was doing Nova Scotia where he would directly like draw or carve into his negatives with, with text. And I thought that was wild. So that got me into drawing again. And, um, I went to community college for a while and with an interest in photography and I, uh, I don't know if, yeah, it didn't seem possible at that time. I wanted to do it. Yeah. I definitely want to like keep doing photography and draw. Um, And then when I finished or yeah, I finished, I got an associate's degree and I didn't really know what to do. And my, at the time my teacher said, if you want to pursue photography, you really have to learn digital photography. So then I started taking classes in Photoshop and, in web design. And, uh, and I was spending 12 hours a day in front of the computer. And that was so painful. And, um, I didn't, but I just stuck with it. Cause I thought, well, I need to, I need to figure out how to make money through this. So this is a way to do it. And, uh, shortly after that, I applied to a bunch of schools and Evergreen State College in Olympia. Washington gave me basically a full ride to finish my degree there. So I transferred to Evergreen with, uh, an interest in photography and they have a really wonderful photo department there. Um, but as soon as I got there, I realized like I don't want to mess with computers and I just want to get back into like drawing or painting. So, uh,
0: how was their that's art one. program?
1: Their art there. Are, it's, ter- it's terrible.
0: Literally the first day. Of <laughs> it's class,
1: off the record. Teacher, yeah. Our, no, that's fine. I don't care. They, I think they know their our teacher, the first day said, if you want to become an artist, drop out, go to an art school. Cause this is not a place to do it.
0: <laughs> just going to keep it, keep it real here. <laughs>
1: yeah. And he told us that like almost every day of what, at least once a week, like you guys need to leave. If you guys want to be artists, don't go to the school. And, uh, but I didn't really have a choice because I I was there on basically scholarship to go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just I just stuck with it at Evergreen and then finished and just stayed in Olympia for a long time and just kept painting off my between work and kept at it. And as much as I. Uh, it was hard to see the other students, like all, all the kids that had graduated and had gone to like Los Angeles or New York to like pursue their art career. I also s- saw them all quit eventually because they all had to work a full-time job or maybe they found other interests that they just weren't that excited about becoming an artist. So they all stopped doing it and I just kept it up in Olympia. Yeah. And uh, cause it, rent was $200 a month. So well, there's kept...
0: saving grace, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, not... I heard that, about these other rents, like everyone paying $1,200 a month and plus having to work, whatever, 50 hours a week. Yeah. Whereas in Olympia, you work them 20 hours a week.
0: Right. Yeah. It's kind of noble of that professor to be so blunt about it, you know what I mean? And just be like, mm-hmm. look, if you really want to do this, this isn't the spot. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of like walking into a restaurant. You're like, guys, if you want really good food, this isn't your place. You don't want to go down there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is kind of commendable in a way because, you know, most of the time people want to sell the place that they're working at so they could stay in business. But it's true. But yeah. dad, I, it's 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 kind of nice that he was being honest about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So did yeah, you, I, did, I mean, did, did you feel like your, your mission at that point in school was like, okay, I'm going to, do something creative but I got to get a job out of it so I'm preparing myself for whatever that's going to be but then at a certain point you were like I don't did you just hit to the point where you're like I don't care about that anymore or or the you know what I mean like was it was it married to making a living in a way or was it kind of just a realization that like yeah I just think drawing is my thing I want to try to focus on that and I'll figure out a way to do it
1: I yeah I don't think i thought about money at all or like making it I wanted to just keep doing it that's really that was my focus so I just yeah I didn't really think there would be a career out of it and I just kept working or drawing and then luckily I had a lot of friends around me that were also into art and they their pursuits were similar whereas we just would get together and draw and hang out so um, that was I guess that was a, now that I think about it, it's pretty odd to think about because I would not be able to do that in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. But you had a creative community, which is important, right? So you had had some people that, like-minded people or people that you felt like you could be around. Is Olympia, I I mean, I know it from a certain era, but I mean, is the Mm -hmm. music scene is pretty vibrant there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that's something I should, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because Olympia is actually not, very visual arts focused it's a very music focus which is yeah. great so i saw a lot of great music a lot of great bands and most of the people i knew were into their more their focus is music but they also like to draw on, on right on their off time
0: yeah i mean it's yeah. there's such a you know art and music i mean hence the title of this but you know it's something i've always been interested in uh, i just feel like it goes mm-hmm. together you know what i mean it's when you find musicians they're usually interested in art and, and they use it for their albums and you know what I mean it's it's kind of like like-minded people so if you have a a strong you know a strong music scene is probably it's probably artist friendly you know
1: that's true yeah they, but, it was artist friendly
0: what years were you there in Olympia
1: 2002 to 2015 2016
0: Okay, oh, so you yeah. there for a while. So that, yeah. but that's still post, kind of like the bands that I probably were knowing, like the K Records, like that old. Oh,
1: that yeah, there was stuff. Yeah, there was like I guess unwound, unwound and broken up by then, and uh, but there was like um, I'm trying to think, like early on, There's a band right before. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I'm here. Um This band growing was kind of. Popping off around that time I got there And that was Great because I had no idea About drone music Yeah And and I guess at the time They were more into like hardcore But they had like really Slowed down their sound at that point And so that was a Revelation for me to like learn about Drone and this band Earth Had a really big impact on me at that Time And still do and through that, like getting into Terry Riley and Lamont Young and uh world music just uh really opened my eyes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of great I still, stuff. I, yeah. I also I, I liked a lot of that K record stuff, uh, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's that that scene. I mean, there were you know, there's differences. I guess that the K record stuff when I was younger was so iconic, you know, it was when you think mm-hmm. about. You know, Riot Girl and stuff like that. It's just come coming from that sort of part of the country, you know, it just seemed like it would be a vibrant kind of community. But then that morphed into a lot of different bands that were playing and stuff. But that was always something you were into, music?
1: Yeah. I think that was I I didn't know about K Records before I moved to Olympia, like uh going to the what is it called? They had the uh, international pop underground or they had these music fests so we'd go there to see bands and uh that was pretty exciting yeah to experience those those bands and they also had like bands from japan come um so that was exciting to see like a, J- a japanese band because at the time there was like the boredoms were a big deal to me but they I think they only had been to the U S like once. Yeah. So there was no chance of seeing that or any of like the, the noise acts
0: at that time. Yeah, no, that's cool that you got to see that. Um, So when did you start kind of, you know, getting into making work in a more, I don't want to say a more professional way, but you know, in a, in a way that you were really sort of dedicating yourself to it. And like, this is what I'm focusing in on.
1: I don't know. That's hard to say, cause it was so like, I'm really slow as far as uh, on all levels of like growth and, and change. So I don't think there was really a time where I made a conscious decision. It was just the, the for me, the drawing I, th- the, I wanted to paint, but I also knew like if I wanted to move around like having 10 paintings would take up you know, several square feet, but you could have a hundred drawings and only take up a couple feet yeah. of space. So that was something I was conscious of. So I just tried to make works on paper for a long time, but eventually around 2015, I started transitioning to canvas. Um, Cause also with paper, when you want to show it, it has to, you have to frame it. For the most right. part. Yeah. And that was just um annoying for me. I think right. some maybe some people enjoy framing, but I it's something I never want to do. And and that's great that there's framers around that uh like to do it and they make these beautiful frames for work.
0: Yeah, but it's a commitment. Um, I mean, it's I think a lot of artists feel like it's better when the gallery or someone else deals with them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. make the work. If it goes off to be framed, great, but you don't really want to have to deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. but those early drawing or the earlier drawings were, th- what was it? What was the process like? What were they looking at? Like? Because I'm and thinking of like your inspiration of, of kind of like coming to age with manga or like anime or things like that is a cart cartoons and then like, you know, eight ball or like Dan Klaus and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a certain kind of like imagery that's you're imagining. And then and seeing your work now, I mean, there's, there's a gap there that was bridged. So uh, how, so like
1: how, yeah, from cartoon to more abstraction, I guess. Yeah. I mean, where did you land
0: at or how did that transition from what sort of, Originally inspired you and in, in the visual things that you were looking at, how did they morph into your own language and like what you're making f- physically? Like, by yeah, drawing.
1: well, there was something I came, I uh, like looking at Robert Crumb, the way he was shading, he would like do these hash marks and then build that up. And there was also around that time I discovered this uh artist, Manga Taro, who was in the Shonen Jump series, mm-hmm. and he had a a comic in there and he also used like a similar technique and that was really inspiring and that at the time when I was drawing cartoons I started adding those kind of hash marks and then I just kept doing that and then eventually as I was drawing like moving to Olympia um, and seeing more being because Evergreen State is literally inside of a rainforest like that whole area, I mean, it's been clear cut, but it's grown back and everything's covered in moss and all the trees are probably only like 50 years old, but you can tell that that whole area, if people weren't there, it would just be back to like an ancient forest. Yeah. And um, so that was something I picked up on. And then um, I, uh, I started working in Alaska too in the summer. And uh, when i go to Alaska, or the, the first year I went to Alaska, I went and saw this, I worked on this cruise ship where we'd go look at glaciers, take uh tours to this map. We'd go through this massive fjord that was like miles long with thousands of waterfalls on each side. It was like such an awesome view. And then we'd go and stop in front of this glacier and watch this thing like fall apart, which is so depressing to think about, but it's also like an awesome sight to see yeah. this thing, this 400 foot face of blue ice crumbling in front of you. And um, so just to see that, that expanse of, of the world and, and feel so uh, small mm-hmm. in that time, hit me. And I think with, with, with those visuals and then listening to earth Two a lot, I, I started um, making work that was more based in nature. And then that slowly just got more abstract and the, and the hash marks stayed. And then I just started building imagery with just the hash marks and that Probably had some like shapes to it, but like recognizable shapes like whales or trees, and then that just became more blurred as time went on, yeah, as more of like an emotion or um, feeling
0: it's pretty cool that you you kind of literally had that moment of like encountering the sublime in nature, you know what I mean, and then the the awe and impact of that of trying to transcribe that it seems as though you know maybe the process and i'm just going to write into your whole... <laughs> i'm just going to like try to describe No please yeah you, yeah but yeah. but you know it seems like the process became almost a sublimation of that landscape it was about the repetition of the the process of doing it that became that kind of what meant some more than the image itself in a way right or it became more integral to the process than the image of representing something it was almost more about that process
1: mhm yeah yeah, but much better. Well said than uh, the way I was trying to say it. <laughs> no, but
0: it's it's a really uh, interesting idea because I don't know, I don't know how often that happens. Where I, I mean, I think people come to abstraction in, in different ways, you know. And there's a lot of people who use process as an integral part of abstraction um, don't necessarily arrive at it through the landscape, like in a direct way, like that. You know what I mean? Or at least looking at the landscape it uh, often it gets detached from imagery and it's just about that process, but it's interesting to think about, you know, those connections that you have with that, with looking. And uh, what about the palette? Is that responding to sort of environmental things or is that more sensory or is it intuitive? Uh,
1: It's intuitive. Well, and so the last few years in Olympia, uh, when I, I started making exclusively blue and white work, and that was, I think a response to, my emotional state of like being in such a wet dank place for so long. And um, I remember my room one day we, I had a washing machine in there and a, the, the dryer was also in my room it was a converted garage and noticing that there was like water seeping through and then moving the, the, the machines and noticing uh, this colony of mushrooms growing out of the wall. Whoa. And, uh, that was like, and also feeling uh, people get sick there a lot because of the, I think there's this mold growing everywhere in in the fall, actually all year besides summer probably. And, um, so that has like an effect on people. And, uh, so anyways, yeah, that, that blue and white was something I was trying to using the, that palette was trying to convey this kind of mood of. Not necessarily like darkness, but an an internal feeling of some some heaviness. Yeah, and also seeing like Eve Klein, of course, is uh, undeniable in his influence in my work. Because I had gone to um, Nice um, just on a whim. Well, not on a whim, but uh, I was in Europe and then I had a free place to stay in Nice. So, and then I had no idea that he, there was a museum there, but they had like a, a large collection of this work. So I saw that. And I think that probably knowing that he made this IKB international client blue, this like trademark color, it's just so, um, it's gorgeous Yeah, to see that, that blue, cause it's so dark, but also vibrant. There's like an energy to it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that was like total happenstance, right? Like you weren't intending to, I mean, I guess that's influence in general though. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like your environment and your surroundings, whatever you bump into, you know, you could take a trip to, you know, Botswana and all of a sudden, like, there's a whole new body of work there that you might, you know, come out of that. Yeah. And, um, that idea of the humidity is really interesting though. It seems like such a big part of your life, <laughs> like that, you know, being in these humid environments and water and mist and and, you know. Yeah. It's totally environment. Do you, do you travel to Japan ever?
1: Uh, I went actually last year just for a couple days, um, but that was just to um, see a relative. And also uh, there was a few reasons there. I got to see this amazing show, the incapacitants play live with my friends, Mesher uh, Birch and Brenna. They're also an amazing artistic couple that maybe you can interview one day. Uh, They're making, like, just mind-boggling work and music. Uh, But they got to play with this uh, really uh, amazing group, the Incapacitants, And uh, that was by far the most favorite show I've seen in probably my entire life, maybe.
0: Nice. Was Um, that in Tokyo?
1: That was in Tokyo, yeah. Okay. And, uh, but... But besides that, no, I hadn't been in Japan in, uh, almost ten years.
0: Yeah, because there are some places like in Kyoto, when you go to these really old temples, it, there's mm-hmm. just like a humidity there. Like it, <laughs> you go inside some of these wooden structures that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and there's this real thick kind of mm-hmm. like humidity to it that just it. When you were describing that the mushrooms like growing out of it made me think of those <laughs> environments where, you know, like I've only encountered humidity like that there and in New Orleans, mm-hmm. you know, can get really thick or at least yeah. when I was there, like I remember playing a show there once and, you know, um, after the show, we stayed at someone's house, you know, they offered us to stay because, you know, we were like an indie band. We didn't have like hotels or anything. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, you can stay at our place. And it was like a three, well, it's three stories, but it was really tall walk up. And it was, you know, in the dead heat of summer, and it was so humid in this place that it felt like you were, like, inside of a cloud. And um, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to think, to, like, try to visualize kind of, like, environmental conditions like that, you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah, that humidity is real. The way I, when I think about humidity, it's more of, like, a temperature, like, a a heat thing. But in the Northwest, it's definitely humid, too. But it's, you are in a, a cloud, but it's cold. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, it's always misty. So that probably has like has affected my um, the way I make work too. Of like yeah. always having this layer of mist or something. Or, yeah, in the in the plane.
0: Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. um Do you when you're working? Do you listen to music? Are you a silence, a music, or a podcast, or a TV?
1: Uh, I, I do it all. Yeah, uh, music podcast silence
0: and your studio uh, is it far from where you are
1: uh no it's in downtown it's only like uh probably like 15 minutes away
0: nice yeah right. not too much traffic getting there
1: no 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 not too much traffic um it, usually we try to take the bus uh but sometimes the bus is sketchy because there's like a lot of and not a lot but there's always there's tends to be like one anti masker and that's kind of
0: oh boy uh, one someone who wants to ruin the party, right? Yeah, <laughs> they don't even let him on here without a mask.
1: Oh yeah, I, they, I think they've just given up here. There's like there's, there the bus driver has so much other stuff to worry about. Yeah, um, and they're and they're separated from the the rest of the passengers. So yeah, um, the studio is in downtown LA, which is like its own really depressing ecosystem. Of, yeah. of, of like, uh, yeah, the, the class, uh, difference. There's just like extreme poverty and houselessness. It's, uh, it's really depressing. Yeah. So does
0: it affect your sort of working state, your mind state when you're doing what you're doing?
1: Oh, yeah. Every day. Yeah. It's hard for me. I, um, there's, I try to help, but there's really not that much i I can do i mean i i do what i can but it does like i look out uh i'll I'll look out our studio window and there's i'll see 30 houseless people every day and they're struggling sometimes they're having a good time but the ones i talk to are uh yeah they're they're struggling
0: yeah yeah. So it's it's here's the next question. Mm-hmm. It's like if you, it sounds like you, so much a part of you is like coming from this environment that you grew up in, and nature and kind of like a certain environment. Mm-hmm. What compelled you to leave that and go to like L.A.? I'm not trying to crap <laughs> oh, on L.A. Uh, right now, but <laughs>
1: oh yeah, uh, you know,
0: like why why that environment for your studio and for you know to to go work every day.
1: Well, the before we came to LA, we had, so we left Olympia on like a in a situation and moved. Uh, an opportunity popped up in Roswell, New Mexico. So, uh, my partner and I we went down there and spent the winter, fall and winter, and that was an incredible time coming from the like the wet, dank Northwest to this dry, open New Mexico space of having really nothing to block your, your vision. Except so, for UFOs. Except for UFOs. I didn't see any UFOs. Unfortunately, oh, man, that's not little... there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I did see thousands of birds every day. Nice. Uh, pretty close to our studio. There uh, is a really beautiful wildlife refuge. And I think it's the only body of water that's within a couple hundred miles. So all the migratory birds come through. So the this lake is filled with thousands and thousands of birds. That's so cool. That that was um, incredible. That m- seeing that level of nature, like something you'd see on a a documentary, was well, it changed my perspe- perception and idea of life, or maybe just uh, reinforced that there was like more to personal troubles and. Uh, problems seeing that 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 this life exists outside so, the,
0: so that's another amazing environment so you went from that beautiful northwest mm-hmm. down there was was la the next stop
1: uh-huh yeah and then la so i had gotten an artist residency in la and uh so then we that came that brought us to la three years ago and And I, I actually never had an intention of living in LA. It it was just an opportunity that came. So we came here and, uh, it's, it's been good so far. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, the, there's definitely an energy in LA that I'm still not totally comfortable with.
0: Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, was it just less laid back? You think?
1: Yeah, it's less laid back, and you can just feel this like uh, electricity, just different levels of electricity everywhere or energy. So it's hard to, I guess, coming from like say, drone phase of my life. Yeah. To LA, which is like 10, 10 different bands playing at once, is what it kind of feels like.
0: With a lot of distortion.
1: Yeah. With a lot of distortion. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Some feedback. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Feedback. It's just all over the place. So it's hard to like find a a balance, but um, I can do
0: it. Well, I imagine it's, it's um, maybe sometimes not being the most, in the most comfortable environment can still be energizing to being creative and making work. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. For good or for bad, you know, I was wonder how that, you know, I feel like I can move, upstate or get you know be sort of outside of the city Mm -hmm. and you know and I would probably be more relaxed and slow down and kind of take it easy not you know it's not like I wouldn't be productive but it would just be a different speed you know yeah which would probably be good for my stress levels and for my long-term health but maybe not the short-term sort of like you know getting stuff done so to speak because like, like new york like the city is just like you know you feel that energy too it's just a constant you know like you just have to keep moving you
1: know mm-hmm. yeah
0: so are you working pretty much every day or are you are
1: yeah you like- yeah we try to go six days we, we took the day off yesterday um and then uh and i'll go back today yeah yeah uh cool. I like i am sure if I took another two days off I would get used it's hard for me though to like spend that much time in the studio and then come home and then just relax I mean I can I, I can I can relax when I get home but there's definitely like a desire to keep working to like yeah. make to make paintings what are you working on Every now day. I'm working on st- seven unfinished paintings at once large <laughs> scale or smaller or? uh one, one's six by seven i think that they're all like not nothing too small well no there's a couple small works too i used to i used to have a studio where i could only work on one painting at a time and now our studio is a little bit bigger i, I share the studio with my partner and so uh, lila Rose she's also a really wonderful artist uh, sculptor using fabric soft sculpture uh, and now that we're, I'm in this new space or new-ish we've been there for almost a year now um, I have a little bit more wall space but I tend to now that I have this space I'm like trying to work on multiple pieces at a time and I'll like work on something for a bit. I like I like that too because maybe that the not going from like start to finish on one painting gives me more time to understand what I'm doing. Yeah. Cuz all the works are all there's like no there's probably like a theme that connects them all but they all look pretty different even like the palettes all uh, they don't aren't, aren't similar.
0: Well, that's good. That's because that for me, I used to like early on in my sort of painting life, I tried to do multiple paintings Mm -hmm. and I could never do it because I would just shortcut and take some of the blue that I was using for that one. And it would find its way in that one. And then they all started to look like the same palette. And I was, I was just being lazy about, I would just, Mm -hmm. I wanted, I could say that I wanted to be, Uh, you you know, not wasteful of any of the paint or something, but um and then recently I during the quarantine I was stuck out in the in-laws garage for a couple of weeks and I was making multiples and it worked really well and I was able to keep it separate but it is nice if you can kind of like change your pace between works.
1: Yeah, I uh I I like it. I um I am impressed though when people can do multiples. I have a friend in Oakland who has pretty much had the same palette for a few years and all the works to me, there's like a cohesiveness from the every year combining them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, well, people have an intuitive palette sometimes too. That's just like their colors they mix, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was just being lazy. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to mix a new blue. I'll just use that that one. (laughs) But yeah, it's gotten much better at that. Um, well, how can people uh, check out your work? Like, where's the best place to see it? Do you have anything coming? I know things are weird with the pandemic and stuff, but I don't know if you have anything coming up or, or any ways that people can mm, see your stuff.
1: Show-wise, show I don't have anything coming up. Uh, I just had a show, at part two in Oakland with Lila. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, that's it for now. Oh, no, I'll be showing at Wing Luke Museum in Seattle uh, a year. In about a year and a half, I think. Nice. So that, that's a ways away, but that's exciting for me to be able to show at that museum because that's a important historical museum for Seattle.
0: Yeah, it's like home base in a way too, right? Mm-hmm. Show it, kind of, it back kind there. Of. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, a year and a half goes by quick these days. Well, I feel like time goes faster, although the pandemic kind of yeah. softens things down there. Yeah, it
1: has, yeah. It's really... What is it? Ground, yeah, it's very Groundhog's day at, at times. Right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully things are starting to look up a little bit. And I yeah. know, like, there's a lot of cases and all that. And people here need to kind of figure out how to wear a mask and be more responsible about it. But mm-hmm. hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? I yeah, I think it. so. Yeah. yeah. I feel optimistic about I it. I
1: believe it. Me too. It's hard to sometimes, but yeah, it's at, at the end of the day, you have to be. Definitely. i have to be
0: yeah yeah and you want to still go to the studio and make more work you know
1: it's mm-hmm. kind of like that
0: driving force cool well it was great to talk to you thanks for taking time. yeah on.
1: yeah it was really good to talk to you too brian thanks so so much for asking me sure